informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Wednesday, September 20th, 2023. The Feast of St. Well, actually, I'm going to do it yesterday, Saint of the Day, Saint Janarius, because he's a really cool saint, and we didn't talk about him yesterday. It was his feast day yesterday. Uh, but in my defense, Our Lady of Lasalette is also very important. Saint Janarius was a bishop, and his also his companion martyrs. Saint Janarius was the bishop of Beneventum, and his companions were martyred during the persecution of Christians under Diocletian and Maximin. Under the the persecution of Diocletian and Maximum, they Saint Janarius was subject to various trials, including he was cast into a furnace, and yet he remained unburned. He had his joints and his nerves displaced, and yet he did not die. He was thrown into a coliseum with animals to devour him, and the animals lay down beside him. And then Saint Janarius. When looking at the man who was to have him executed, he was then blinded, and by his prayers, he was then restored to his sight, and thousands of people who were witnessing it converted to the faith, and yet the judge who was ruling over St. Janarius, his heart was instead of being softened, it was hardened, and he had him executed nonetheless. Now, St. Janarius his constancy in the miracles that followed his life led to even more conversions to Christianity. In fact, the, his relics of St. Janarius were transferred to various locations, including Beneventum, Monte Virgine, and eventually to where it is today in Naples. In fact, many of his relics during the early church was known to do things as such as extinguishing eruptions from Mount Vesuvius. Now, today, he is most well-known because of the liquefaction of his blood. Three times a year, his, his blood is taken out of the reliquary and is placed near his head. And when it's placed near his head, the blood liquefies. And when it liquefies, it is said that things are normal. But if it does not liquefy, it is said that is a sign of war, plague, or famine that's going to be coming to Naples. Uh, the good news is yesterday when they brought it out and put it near the head of St. Janarius, the blood did in fact liquefy. So I guess that's good news for us. Now, one last thing to consider is that miracles happen today. Those who claim that there are no miracles today, why do we live in this age where God gives us no signs and wonders? The answer is God does give us signs and wonders. We just fail to see them. We remain so skeptical that we see them and we say, no, that probably has a scientific explanation behind it. No, I don't believe it. There has yet to be a credible scientific explanation of this event. The closest thing there is is to say, oh, well, when the bishop takes it and places it in his hands and moves it from point A to the head of Janarius, by the time it gets there, the warmth in his hands warms up the blood enough that it becomes liquefied again. That's the explanation. It seems a bit silly to me. Now, what does Don Prosper Garanger say in his liturgical year as a prayer for St. Janarius? He says, O holy martyrs, and thou especially, O Janarius, the leader no less by thy courage than by thy pontif pontifical dignity, thy present glory increases our longing for heaven 
Thy past combats animate us to fight the good fight. Thy continual miracles confirm us in the faith. Praise and gratitude are therefore due to thee on this day of thy triumph, and we pay this our debt in the joy of our hearts. St. Janerius, pray, pray for us. us. Uh, good morning to you, Rudy Carlos. Hey, good morning, Adrian. Woo-wee. We are halfway through the week. Thanks be to God. Can you believe it? Uh, Already Wednesday? <laughs> Are you going to go canoeing this weekend? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm <laughs> going to be traveling. I'm going to be traveling. So next week, I will not be on the show. Our good friend Brent Haynes is scheduled to come in and fill in for me. So thanks be to God. Please pray for him. He's, uh, he's a great friend. So yeah, pray for him. He uh, definitely needs some prayers. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Anybody needs prayers, right? I need prayers. I could use some prayers. <laughs> Throw some my way while you're at it. There's actually nothing wrong with Brent. I just want you to pray. For <laughs> <laughs> Brent's listening. He's like, oh, I had no. to ask him for prayers for me. Exactly. What would happen to me? <laughs> I realized how that sounded. He's fine. That's funny. As far as I can tell. Well, today I'm pretty excited. Later to this morning, I'm actually heading over to St. John Vianney's Parish in Houston and I'm giving a talk to a St. Anne's, the St. Saint, Saint Anne Society, um, on the topic of living a sublime life hmm. in a vulgar world. So I'm excited. I'm going to record the talk, and I'll be posting it later. So uh, make sure you're connected with us. If you're in our Telegram chat, you'll probably see it first. But I'll probably send it out to our our group and our email list. So if you're not there, go to grnonline.com forward slash cdt. I'm very excited to give this talk. Um, it'll be a lot of fun, and I hope it'll be very edifying. It was a labor of love to to write the talk, but it's uh, I'm very excited, very very excited. So say a prayer for me that I uh, say the words that our Lord desires us to, desires me to say, and that everything works out that way. And say a prayer for the audience of uh, of mothers who are going to be listening that uh, they hear only the good things and just completely just. Do not hear at all anything that I say that is uh, not good. <laughs> I always say that prayer before I give a talk. I'm like, God, God, do me a favor. All the good things, make everybody remember those. Anything that I say that is just not good, just have them forget it. Like they don't, weren't even paying attention. It didn't even happen. Uh, that's usually my prayer before I give a talk. So that's uh, I ask for your prayers for that attention. Uh, at 15 past the hour, there's a documentary called Misled which is kind of a, a pun. It's kind of funny. It's a M-S-L-E-D, misled. And it's a, a documentary on the pro-life movement post Roe v. Wade. Trish Short will be joining us to talk about that at 15 past the hour. At 30 past the hour, Bishop Athanasius Snyder, we're going to talk about his letter on the validity of Pope Francis, a very interesting letter that came out uh, yesterday. At 45 past the hour, Lauren Bobert, people have been talking about her. I have a take on this that may be different from most people's take. So we're going to talk about that at 45 past the hour. In the next hour, the forgotten customs of Ember Days. Have you ever celebrated Ember Days before? If not, today's the day to try it. Today could be the first day. And of course, as always, we have our Fear and Trembling game show. So make sure you're tuned in the whole show. We have so much going on today. But let's begin with prayer. We're going to be praying for your intentions. We're going to be praying for Brent Haynes in a special way today. Uh, we're going to be praying for my grandfather. I'm going to be very grateful if you would pray for the healing of my grandfather's cancer. Pray for Emily Esserman of her liver. And pray for the talk that I'm giving later today for the audience of the talk, that they hear the word of God and be moved by it. 
and pray for the salvation of souls, the liberty and exaltation of Holy Mother Church for our friends, our family, and our benefactors, and all of those that we promise to pray for. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. O Blessed Virgin Mary, Immaculate Mother of God, who didst endure a martyrdom of love and grief, beholding the sufferings and sorrows of Jesus, Thou didst cooperate in the benefits of my redemption by the innumerable afflictions and by offering to the Eternal Father His only begotten Son as a holocaust and victim of propitiation for my sins. I thank Thee for the unspeakable love which led Thee to deprive Thyself of the fruit of Thy womb, Jesus, true God and true man, to save me a sinner. O oh, make use of the unfailing intercession of thy sorrows with the Father and the Son, that I may steadfastly amend my life and never again crucify my loving Redeemer by new sins. Arid that, persevering till death in his grace, I may obtain eternal life through the merits of his cross and passion. Mother of love, of sorrow, and of mercy, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now your headline news with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. You are listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Here are some of today's breaking news and stories for you. Interesting picks this morning. A Minneapolis police staffing falls to the lowest level in four decades after George Floyd's death. The city now has one of the lowest ratios of police officers to city residents out of 22 cities, with 1.4 officers for every 1,000 residents. That's just 585 sworn officers. Many in law enforcement say departments are suffering thanks to a wave of anti-police sentiment that peaked with the death of George Floyd. In some cases, city councils slash police budgets, leaving some police chiefs feeling abandoned as they are stretched too thin to trying to keep their residents safe. Resignations among cops were up 47% last year and retirements were up 19% among 200 police forces surveyed by the Police Executive Research Forum. Another interesting article, Representative Chip Roy and other Republicans seek to repeal the FACE Act after more pro-life rescuers are targeted by the Biden Department of Justice, are convicted and thrown into jail. Quote, free Americans should never live in fear of their, their government targeting them because of their beliefs, unquote. Uh, Representative Roy said, continuing, yet Biden's Department of Justice has brazenly weaponized the FACE Act against normal, everyday Americans across the political spectrum simply because they are pro-life. Representative Chip Roy introduced legislation on Tuesday to repeal the FACE Act, co-sponsored by Republican representatives Chris Smith, Bob Good, Andrew Clyde, Jim Banks, and Anna Paulina Luna, as well as Doug Lamborn. And lastly, Indiana girls were killed in a ritual sacrifice by pagans, says murder suspect's defense team. Defense attorneys in Indiana contended that two teenage girls, whom their client is accused of killing, were actually ritually sacrificed by pagans. Abigail Williams, who was 13, and Liberty German, who was 14, had their lives ended in 2017 by members of a pagan Norse religion and white nationalist group called Odinism. Richard Allen's defense attorneys said authorities found multiple ritualistic symbols at the crime scene and that the pagan religion's signature was found there as well. Seriously concerning story there. Those are some of your headlines today, but stay tuned in Catholic Drive Time for more. Back to you, Adrian. The Gospel of the Day comes from Luke chapter 7, verses 31 through 35. Now, this passage here, the primary meaning of this passage is referring to the Jews, but I would also say it applies to you and I today, and many Catholics and Christians in general who are not following 
the truths of the faith. In verse 31, it says, And the Lord said, Where unto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? Now, obviously, whenever you see our Lord ask a question, our Lord always knows the answer to the questions he's asking. Remember, he's omnipotent. He is God. He's not asking a question he doesn't know the answers to. So in verse 32, he then answers the question. He says, they are like two children sitting in the marketplace and speaking one to another and saying, we have piped to you and you have not danced. We have mourned and you have not wept. Now, immediately I am to think about our generation. How many times in our generation, I, I talk about emotivism, people desire that you just adhere to their feelings, to their emotions, to what they feel like, what they perceive the world to be. Instead of conforming the mind to reality, they conform reality to the mind. Now, in verse 33, he says, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, He hath the devil. The Son of Man is coming, eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a man that is a glutton and a drinker of wine, a friend of publicans and sinners. And wisdom is justified by all her children. Now here, what is our Lord trying to get at? He's saying, look, you did not accept John the Baptist. And he is the model of asceticism. He did not eat bread. He did not drink wine. He wore sackcloth and ashes. He ate wild honey and locusts. And yet you did not hear him. You, he saw the world mourning and he wept. He went to prepare the way of the Lord. And yet the Son of Man comes, and just as the prophecy saith, he comes eating and drinking. And you say, behold, that man is a glutton and a drinker of wine. He's a drunkard. And so what will you accept? What will you accept if not John the Baptist and not the Son of Man himself? And so, too, today, the fool saying in his heart, there is no God. Many people will say, I will believe when God opens up the heavens. I will believe when God gives me a sign. I will change my life when God does this miracle for me. How many times do we say things like that? How many times do we test God? Yet what sign will God give us that we will accept? None but the sign of, of Jonah. What was the sign of Jonah? The great chastisement. So be ready for it. And let's ask God to give us the grace of faith, hope, and charity. We'll be right back with more right after this. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, Why do Christians talk so much about God and so little about humanity? G.K. Chesterton says that the people who insist that we forget divine things and think of human things end up talking about how helpless human beings are because of their faulty environment or their fatal heredity or their uncontrollable animal instincts. And it all ends with the old fatalist cry that we must forgive everything because there's nothing to forgive. But these things are not the human things. These are the subhuman things, the, the things we share with animals. The human things are exactly what they dismiss as merely divine. The human things are free will, responsibility, authority, and self-denial. The things that are really human 
are also divine. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to meditate on Christ's passion. Wouldn't it be great if everyone meditated daily on our Lord's passion? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. It's good to be here. Now, joining us in just a moment will be Trish Short. We're going to be talking about this new pro-life documentary that we're working on. Or not we. I'm not working on it. That she's working on. She's going to be releasing the the um, trailer this week. And so we're going to talk about that when she comes on. And I think it's always important to keep up to date with these kind of things because part of the the reason why so many people today uh, fail to understand the pro-life movement and fail to understand the situation that the world is in is because we don't really, we don't really get the fact that uh, the human life is in fact sacred and that there are so many lives are utterly destroyed by the fact that we have allowed for abortion, abortion. It's not simply and not only the babies who are killed, which is absolutely tragic, but it's the lives that are completely and utterly altered because of those babies who are killed. Uh, People have changed. Their lives have been utterly changed forever. Things that should have been, will never be that way ever because they did not they did not do that they did not have that child that they should have had so that's something definitely to keep in mind now as we wait for Trish to come on we I want to talk about this story a little bit uh, there was a journal called BMJ journals the journal of, it's a journal of medical ethics and in this journal of medical ethics, there was this article that uh, kind of got a little bit of, of uh, traction in terms of getting some news coverage, but ultimately it actually d- did not get as much uh, view time as it should have. It's called Con- Reconsidering Fetal Pain. And this um, article talks about the question of can fetuses feel pain. Now, many people will immediately kind of dismiss this article because they're saying, oh, pro-lifers talking about fetuses having pain. But it's not actually pro-life article. This article is actually trying to kind of stay out of the question of abortion. In fact, they mention explicitly that we are trying to avoid getting into the abortion debate. The article even go so far as to use the language of fetus rather than a child or a baby. So the authors are the whole different viewpoints on the morality of abortion. And in fact, whenever you read it, many of them start to give like examples of what they can do to keep having abortions. So it is not a pro-life article. Now they first give away the background here. They said the issue of fetal pain 
has been raised in discussions about abortion, with some arguing that it should be a factor in decisions about terminating pregnancies. The author acknowledges that they, the authors acknowledge that they have differing moral perspectives on abortion, but agree that the question of fetal pain should be examined independently of those views. They argue that fetal pain has ethical and clinical significance, especially in the context of abortion. So he said that the article distinguishes between early term abortions before 13 weeks gestation and later abortions, which may involve medical or surgical procedures. The author asserts that early term abortions are unlikely to involve fetal pain. However, this article is saying that that worldview that we just assumed was the case is not necessarily true. Now, the reason for this and you can go into the neuroscience of it and read the article if that's something that you understand. But the author talks about how the neuroscientific evidence related to fetal pain, including the development, the development of the fetal brain and thalmocortical projections, that they argue that the necessity of the cortex for pain experience may have been overstated and the subcortical neuroactivity could support fetal pain. So what does that mean, translating that into English? He's basically saying that before, we thought that this one part of the brain was where the pain was felt. And that part of the brain does not develop into later weeks in the pregnancy. And therefore, the child doesn't feel pain until, I think they were saying, about 24 weeks. But this new understanding is saying that the subcortoneural activity could, in fact, foster the support of pain which gets developed around 12 weeks. And therefore, the abortions that are happening as at least as early as 12 weeks, the children will, in fact, be feeling pain. So that's something that is a, a real concern, something that is a real problem. And so what do the authors suggest? So obviously, as someone was more, mm, would you say, pro-life, they would say, okay, obviously there's a reason to not try to kill these babies at this time. But just to prove the point that these women, these uh, these these authors are not pro-life. They even say, they come out and say, well, so what we should probably do is give them some kind of anesthesia before we kill them. <laughs> I'm like, or we could just not kill them. Uh, that could be another experience, another uh, possible solution to this problem. So in conclusion, the article says that the exact nature of fetal pain remains unknown. But there is a reasonable basis to consider fetal ana analgesia during later abortions, meaning like um, anesthesia, to anesthetize the babies before you kill them. The author emphasizes the need for further research and a balanced approach to the topic. So that's the, kind of the story that they're putting out, which kind of didn't get any coverage. I was surprised to see. Um, I would think that a lot of the pro-life um, writers and speakers would have picked up on this, but I didn't see too many people bring it up. And this is definitely something that we have to keep in mind as we see the abortion debate pick up. And because many people try to say that, oh, well, as long as soon as the baby feels pain, that's when we should stop abortion. Obviously, it's a nonsensical argument because the argument should be you shouldn't kill babies. And if it's a baby, then you shouldn't kill it. So the question is, is it a baby? And then... But many people hold the irrational view that just because they start feeling pain, therefore you should not kill them anymore. So now we can say, look, there is good scientific evidence to understand that babies can feel pain at 12 weeks gestation. 
and they hope that it'll cause more people in the um, pro-choice movement and the anti-life movement to try to reconsider their positions. Uh, but joining us right now is Trish Short. Good morning to you, Mrs. Short. Good morning, Adrian. Congratulations and on your new post, and I've been watching you. Great job, and uh, thank you for having me on last time, you and Joe. I've checked him out, too. You guys are doing so great in your new posts, and it's an honor to be on. Thank you. Well, thank you for being on. Um, you're putting out this documentary. Tell me about this. Uh, we're a little bit short on time, but uh, tell me about this documentary. Sure. Uh, this documentary was 25 years in the making, Adrian. Um, when we first started it 25 years ago, the pro-life movement was completely different. Uh, first off, most everybody in the pro-life movement 25 years ago was Catholic. We had a few evangelical pastors. Uh, the name of the documentary, Ms. Led, was something that was given to me way back when. And my husband and I, I'm post-abortive, tragically, and this was uh, pro-life's a work of atonement, a work of reparation, and helping other women to become aware. That's the reason for this. But when we did it 25 years ago, uh, everybody who's a who's who in pro-life, what we did interviews with, and when I got a full cut together some two years later, we had a Catholic author, writer, editor come look at it. I mean, he's worked for like Time, Newsweek, some of the top um, Fortune 500 CEOs, priests as a ghostwriter for their bios. And he looked at it, Adrian, and he said, Trish, this is too religious for your title. And uh, I wanted, because this very kindly man gave us the seed money for this, I wanted my obligation taken care of. And I considered releasing it, but that kept stabbing me in the heart that um, the title that was given to me 25 years ago, this is for women. And no matter how many times my husband and I tried to put this together, we're experienced producers, threw money at it, did more interviews. Adrian, it would not edit together. Hmm. And we did not know why. And of course, here we are 25 years later in the last two years, uh, the Lord brought new people. It took off like a rocket. And many people said to me, you know, maybe it's not God's timing. So it's clear. Uh, and anyone who was in the documentary 25 years ago, we have awesome plans for the archival footage after this is released. So it's not going to be wasted. But the narrative of this, Adrian, is for such a time as now where you have a Jen Psaki relating uh, babies to broccoli, to a piece of coal. I mean, this piece is to awaken the hearts of women with the truth, uh, to shine a light on the value of the child through compelling stories of not only brokenness, but um, I think women have changed. You know, we don't live in that kardashian culture women have rejected that that this is not uh this is not a picture of femininity this is not where we want to go it in fact is the leftover of hugh hefner and all the sexual revolution and women know they're they're waking up this is not good for women we have been used, families have been decimated. Why are we playing into this? So that was really the, the thought behind this um, when it picked up again, to like two and a half years ago. Compelling people in it. Um, you don't have to be Catholic, Protestant, 
whatever, everyone of every background sadly, tragically walks into an abortion clinic. So this piece is not religious. Um, there are atheists in it. There are Democrats, Republicans, Catholics, evangelicals. And it's a picture of the culture waking up, which is beautiful. You know, mm. we're not we're not buying those lies anymore, Adrian. So uh, this is to help people on the fence and also call women back. What happened to womanhood when I was a kid? Women got along. They helped each other. They supported each other. So this really does cry out to the heart of women and um, women in a circumstance where they are abortion minded. You know, it's a cry. It's a call out. What are we doing? How can we do it better? What can the pro-life movement do better? What can the government do? What should it not be doing? And so these are the questions through the stories that come up. And um, and the information is very loving. It's very truthful. It's not like the um, trailer is much more in your face because we want people to watch it. And this certainly will smack you in, as far as truth is concerned. But always, always, I wanted to keep that heart for the women um, who weren't told, who didn't have the formation, who don't have the support, and um, make them think differently, especially about the child. When we we're talking about broccoli and coal, I was new age at one time. And you know, Adrian, even new age people understand and believe that there is a spirit, a, a soul of some sort. They don't understand it as we yeah. do, but we're, we're going to go to a quick break. Um, when we come back, I want to ho- hang on to the conversation and uh, pick it back up in just one moment. Uh, Trish Short is joining us. Her documentary, Misled, will be coming out soon. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with more right after this. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question. Should pastors and churches place expectations and obligations on the congregation? Your average non-Catholic evangelical would say no, maybe even no way. It might be said, we do not need written order, discipline, or expectations. Those should derive from personal desire and from the Holy Spirit, not from a church. Or, each Christian's conscience should be sufficient for correction and discipline. Or, the Holy Spirit will personally lead each believer as to what church or to attend and certainly how often they should go. So here's your three best friendships tools for Catholic evangelism. Natural law says human society cannot be well-ordered nor prosperous unless it has legitimate authority to preserve its own institution, the Bible. Secondly, the Bible, which says in multiple places such as Hebrews 13, 17, obey them that have the rule over you. And thirdly, the Catholic Church says when we are properly ordered, we will be capable of resisting conformity to the contemporary demands of unhealthy individualism. So obligations, much obliged. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we'll have you at the gate and plenty of time for you to get to confession before Mass this evening. Wouldn't it be great if everyone regularly went to confession? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Rudy Carlos, and here are more breaking news and headlines for you. This one is from Catholic news agency Azerbaijan Unleashes Military Strikes Against Armenian Christians in Nagorno-Karabakh. 
In an escalation of violence in the disputed Nagorno-Karabakh region, Azerbaijan unleashed military strikes against an enclave of about 120,000 Armenian Christians, shelling buildings and firing on Armenian military and civilian positions. Though some see the conflict as strictly over borders, experts have emphasized that religion also plays a central part in the war between Christian Armenia and Muslim Azerbaijan. According to Sam Brownback, former U.S. Ambassador-at-Large for International Religious Freedom, Armenia wants to retain its influence in Artsakh, while Azerbaijan wants to expel the Armenian Christian population to solidify its hold on the region. Here's a really awesome good news story for you today. Hungarian President Katalin Novak launches a pro-family manifesto. Hungary's first pro, uh, well, actually, she's probably not the only pro-life president, but Hungary's first female president, Katalin Novak, has launched a 12-point pro-family manifesto defending parental rights and bucking leftist trends. Having served as Minister of Family Affairs prior to being elected, President of the Republic Novak said that parents have the right, the duty, and the responsibility to raise their children free from harmful ideologies. Hungary must not give in, it in to its consent to anti-family decisions on international matters, Novak declared, in an apparent reference to anti-natalists and pro-abortion programs pushed on countries at an international level. Hungary's pro-family policies stand out in Europe and have been successful in turning around a disastrous situation of population decline in the country. Now, those are all of your headlines this morning. May God bless all of your holy efforts today. Back to you, Adrian. Thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up to date. Joining us right now is Trish Short. She is the um, director of the documentary Misled. Uh, we're putting that, she's putting that, I keep saying, I don't know why I keep saying we. Uh, she's putting that out uh, soon, and you can go check out the actual trailer, which is out now. Just look up Misled documentary Trish Short, and you'll be able to find it on YouTube. It is uh, very good. The trailer is very good. It makes you very excited to watch it. Uh, but yes. good morning to you, Miss Trish Short. Good morning, Adrian. You know, Thank you for having me. It was really great to hear what you are saying about uh, why you were creating it. Uh, but then, you know, there are so many material out there on the pro-life movement nowadays. Like, it's it's a, such a blessing that we have the world today where there is content galore on the pro-life movement all the way from from Hollywood level movies to people yes. posting uh, posts all over social media to YouTube videos and everything in between. So what makes your documentary different than the ones that have already been out there? Well, I think everybody, as, as God would have it, we're part of a tapestry. So there's really no, to me, there's really no um, duplication. Uh, when you put a different person at the helm, uh, you're, you're doing an awesome job of Catholic Drive, and there was a host before you, and, and one day there may be a host after you. And everybody has their own drive personality their own you know a heart that that does direct something so to speak and so this piece um the way it's different is is it's, it's absolutely driven more out of a heart of uh someone who came from divorce and of a horrifically broken family uh had no formation didn't know the truth and um, the devastation of that. And also, I prayed for different voices. Um, we have some of the best pro-life ministries that there, there are. I mean, there are powerhouses. Lila Rose, what an awesome job she does. Um, 
Students for Life. I mean, you could go on and on and on. Uh, Father Pavone uh, over the years, Frank Pavone. Um, there's so many great pro-life ministries. They've done great videos, great work. But um, this just came from the heart of a broken mother. Uh, I wanted to profile um, most of these voices people hardly ever hear from. And um, not all of them are Catholic. But what I wanted and, and felt was missing was just a profile of how people are actually walking this out. People that you don't normally hear from and um, profiles on every different kind of, of type of person's mission or outreach, which is touching on the areas that the pro-abortion uh, deceive people about. Um, frontline work, um, PRCs, um, very personal stories behind people that do that work. And also people who are just looking at the feminist movement more from a, a, a secular take of um, a, on the abortion issue that are pro-life. And um, so I, I think that's what's different about it. I mean, I think if you have a huge platform and you're trying to educate people, um, you have to do all sorts of different things. And that was not what this was about. The education, yes, is there. But um, the heart of the lost uh, is really at the center of this. And awakening dead in hearts was at the center you know, of this. It's interesting. The, the, the title of the documentary is really clever, uh, misled. Because there, I mean, that's really the case. That's really the case for a lot of these people. You mentioned how you have people in this who are, are Democrats, who are atheists, who are all sorts of walks of life. And that's certainly the case is that many people, they were told, oh, yeah, the baby doesn't feel pain. Oh, yeah, it's not a baby at all. It's just a clump of cells. Oh, it's, it's, it's not. A, it's no big deal. And they try to they spin this narrative and they destroy lives like ours. And when people wake up to it, it's utterly and completely devastating. And I, what is a, can you share just one story that might uh, get people to say, hey, I want to hear that story. I want to see that story. Can you share one particular story that you thought was particularly moving? Sure. I mean, I think the, the, really the strongest voices in this are people that you don't hear all the time. And one, she's an atheist. Um, and she started an outreach. Uh, she she absolutely saw the lies that and and that the women themselves, regardless of faith, no faith, and background, that they weren't being reached with this message. And so she she really speaks to what's going on now in a most powerful way. Um, I've had people watch this just to get their feedback. And the first thing they say is, um, you know, I'm happy it's not religious. I'm happy it focuses in on everybody because that was my point. Anybody from any background walks into an abortion clinic and we have to be able to speak to all those people in a compelling way. I think her story is compelling. I think um, the, the story from an African-American woman is very compelling because you know, she talks about what we already know in, in the movement, and that is the, the horrible um, uh, targeting of the Black community. But she tells it in the most compelling way. She's post-abortive. She isn't heard much from in, let's say, our circles, Catholic circles. But, you know, she's ABC has had her on. 
Um, so some of these people have been on mainstream media, but we don't see them in Catholic circles. Um, we don't see them as much in, in, in the wider pro-life movement. So I think the, the compelling voice is that um, it just isn't a religious piece. It just really uh, fo focuses on what are we doing and how are we really helping? We're talking about it, right? We're pointing out everything that's wrong about it. But where are we working to put in place to open a conversation, to awaken the hearts of those who are on the fence and deadened? Um, I think that's the compelling piece of this. I think the age groups are compelling because we have every every background. We have Black, white, um, Hispanic, older, younger, um, and then we, we kind of shored up from the medical. And I think the, just from my point, the way I interviewed the medical people was very different than what you've seen out there. And I don't want to give you too much info because that's a true spoiler, but that, <laughs> that is, a, that is now, an unbelievably powerful uh, take. And it all comes from the broken heart of a young girl who didn't have a family and how many of women are out there like that. And I'll tell you one thing, misled. When I got the first sticker in the mail, Adrian, that said Ms. and then my name. Um, and somebody said, this was all about equal pay. This was all about, I was a single mom with the, with a kid, not getting any child support. I was desperate. I was all over that, but then it became only about abortion. And and so that is the tragedy is um, losing the heart of women, losing the heart of the sisterhood. Where did it go? Why aren't we talking about this? Now, Trish, Why we're, we we're just about out of time. So where can people get connected with you if they want to be able to see this documentary and be alerted when it's out? OK, we had we started a new channel for it. It's called Misled MS. L-E-D, not misled, not M-I-S, but M-S-L-E-D films. And it's on YouTube. Uh, we will publicly drop the, t the trailer there today. And the film is released on the 27th. So there that's next. All right. Well, and thank you very much. For sure, we're about out of time. Uh, God bless you. God love you. And have a blessed day. God bless you. And that's going to do it. We're going to be right back with more. Uh, Bishop Athanasius Snyder put out a letter. We're going to talk about that coming up next. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the very contemporary and popular idea that a faith alone salvation, which occurs by repenting of sins and asking Jesus in one's heart, sufficient to enter and warrant heaven upon death? I say, no, it's not. Many evangelicals will say, just follow the Romans road, which is four verses snatched out of the book of Romans, and when followed, heaven is promised. Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. The Gospels, nor the Epistles, nor the Apostolic and early Church Fathers ever wrote any like this mechanical approach. Secondly, the marriage experience. After wrongdoing and temporary departure from your family, does a simple one-time, hey honey, I'm really sorry, bring you back into the family? And thirdly, teaching of the Catholic Church, water baptism, loving God and neighbor, which is displayed by consistent acts of charity while maintaining a perseverant hope of heaven is the surest way to God's eternal presence. And my pesky comeback, that Romans road is presumptuous and significantly dumbs down the holy value and price of salvation. And remember, that Romans road has some potholes. Listening to Catholic Radio and getting excited about learning about your Catholic faith can be, well... 
infectious. I converted uh, in my 20s to a uh, Protestant, and uh, this is the first time I've heard Catholic radio, and I've been listening to it for a couple hours driving. First time I've ever heard Catholics actually excited about what they believe. I'm going to tell you what, this has been uh, one of the greatest two hours that I've had in a while. And a special thank you to our donors for keeping Catholic radio on the air. Thank you, and may God bless you. And welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. Do you know who Bishop Athanasius Snyder is? He is a great bishop. I'm very encouraged by him. Bishop Athanasius Snyder, for those who don't know, he is the auxiliary bishop of Kazakhstan. And he has a kind of a really cool history. He was born of German parents in 1961 uh, during the, the reign of the, the USSR and the Soviet Union was running his, his town. And during that time, he was actually received the pastoral care of a beatified martyr for the faith. And he actually received Holy Communion in secret and his family would hide and try to sneak off to get to mass growing up. He later joined the Canon Dragger of the Holy Cross of, of Coimbra, a Catholic religious order where he received the name Athanasius from his religious superior. And he later became a professor of patristics and got received his doctorate in patrology at the Augustinium in Rome. And he, of course, then became consecrated a bishop at the altar of the chair of St. Peter in the Vatican in 2006 and became the auxiliary bishop of the Archdiocese of Astania. And so this is uh, the kind of the situation he's in. He was for the long, for a while, he was in charge of the Ecclesia Dei communities of trying to see about the situation with uh, the Society of St. Pius X and try to figure out their status and their um, orthodoxy. And that's uh, who this great bishop is. So he just released a letter about the topic of the validity of Pope Francis. And I thought this was an excellent letter. And so I want to read to, the, to you this in full and we'll stop throughout it as we go along because it's certainly worthy of listening to everything he has to say here. He says at the beginning here, there is no authority to declare or consider an elected and generally accepted pope as an invalid pope. The constant practice of the church makes it evident that even in the case of an invalid election, this invalid election will be de facto healed through the general acceptance of the newly elected by the overwhelming majority of the cardinals and bishops. Now, what is he referring to here? He's referring to what is referred to in ecclesiology, ecclesia supplet, which is the church supplies. So if there is something that is wrong with what a priest or a bishop does, it is believed that the church supplies that which was lacking. This does not apply in situations of, of uh, the sacraments, for instance. If you're not using the proper matter, form, or minister, or receiver, if one of those things is missing, Ecclesia Suplet does not apply. Uh, but here he's talking about, for instance, assignments. And for elections of popes, of things regarding canon law, and uh, different things like this, the church will supply the de defects of the sacrament, of the action of the church. You could even say it so far as the action of a sacrament minus the actual foundational words. 
So if, for instance, the ceremony of baptism, the priest kind of botches it, but he still gets the actual baptism correct, the baptism itself, the church supplies everything else, the, uh, the, the ancillary rites. Now, he's saying that this is the case for the pope because he's referring to the different theories of how Pope Francis is not the pope. Uh, this comes from, you know, Father Altman, from Patrick Coffin. Um, one of the arguments from Patrick Coffin was that the election of Pope Francis was invalid because they violated the rules that John Paul II set up in the new code of canon law. And Bishop Athanasius Snyder here is saying that even if it was, in fact, an invalid election, which I think is, I mean, it's there is a, a good reason to believe that that was the case. But Bishop Athanasius Snyder here is saying, despite the fact, even if it was the case, the election would be de facto healed by the fact that he, the Pope, was generally accepted by the overwhelming cardinals and bishops. He goes on and says, even in the case of a heretical Pope, he will not lose his office automatically. And there is no body, not nobody, but no body within the church to declare him deposed because of heresy. Such action would come close to a kind of heresy of conciliarism or episcopalism. Now, what is he referring to here? He's referring to the idea that a council or a college of bishops or a group within the church is over the Pope. And this is condemned by the popes after Vatican I. This is not something that can be held by Catholics. A pope is not a, this is, or sorry, not Vatican I. It actually was the uh, Council of Constance. The Council of Constance, after the Council of Constance, it was said a conference of bishops or a council of bishops or a synod of bishops does not have authority over the pope. This is a teaching of the church that we have to hold to. He says, the heresy of conciliarism or episcopalism says basically that there is a body within the church which can issue a legally binding judgment over the pope. This is heresy. This is not the case. Now, there are some people that try to have a nuanced view of this, which is legitimate. They'll say, well, a, a council cannot depose a pope, but a council can get together and basically say, hey, look, we're all condemning you. Uh, step down. And then the Pope can willingly step down from his office, which is what happened at the Council of Constance, at least debatably. Now, this is something that can happen legitimately, but it's not the case that the actual council can depose a Pope. Now, the theory of the automatic loss of papacy due to heresy remains only an opinion. This is Bishop Anthony Snyder. And even St. Robert Bellarmine noticed this and did not present it as a teaching of the magisterium itself. You may, may remember the conversation we had about Bishop, or not Bishop, Father Altman's comments about Robert Bellarmine. And I pointed out that he is misleading in the way he presented Robert Bellarmine's positions because Robert Bellarmine had several opinions and he was not presenting any of them as definitive. He was just presenting them as opinions. And so he, Athanasius Snyder is referring to this point. He says, and Robert Bellarmine notices and did not present it as a teaching of the magisterium itself. The perennial papal magisterium never taught such an opinion. In 1917, when the Code of Canon Law, the Codex Juris Canonici, came into force, the magisterium of the church eliminated from the new legislation the remark of the Decretum Graziani in the old the canon law, which stated that a pope 
who deviates from right doctrine can be deposed. Never in history did the magisterium of the church admit any canonical procedures over deposition of a heretical pope. The church has no power over the pope formally or juridically. The surer Catholic tradition says that in the case of a heretical pope, the members of the church can avoid him, resist him, refuse to obey him, all of which can be done without requiring a theory or opinion that says that a heretical pope automatically loses his office or can be deposed consequently. This is very important because, I mean, there have been times, there have been times where kings went to war against the pope, Catholic kings, because the pope gathered an army and literally marched into his land and tried to take over his land. And so the king had to raise an army and fight physically against the pope. This has happened in the past. So clearly it's the case that we can avoid, we can resist, and we can refuse to obey him when he's doing things that are contrary to the church teaching. This is clearly the case. But as Athanasius Snyder says, there is no example in history of anyone deposing a pope and anyone having a canonical uh, procedure over the pope. He goes on and says, therefore, we must follow the sure way, the via tutior, and abstain from defending the mere opinion of theologians, even if they be saints like St. Robert Bellarmine, which says that heretical pope automatically loses his office and can be deposed by the church, therefore. Now, clearly, what he's saying here is that as lay people, as you and I, we should adhere to the sure opinion whenever there is things that are disputed. And we cannot bind people to other people's opinions and claim, oh, yeah, this opinion is the correct one. No, we have to cling to the sure opinion. And then maybe one day the church will proclaim dogmatically on this topic. And I'm sure it will. I'm sure after things become more normal and things go back to a sane view of the world, a future pope will come out and declare dogmatically what the correct position is on this topic. But for now, we don't know. And so we go with what is sure. He goes on and says, The pope cannot commit heresy when he speaks ex cathedra. This is a dogma of faith. And his teaching outside of ex cathedra statements, however, he can commit doctrinal ambiguities errors, and even heresy. And since the Pope is not identical with the entire church, the church is stronger than a singular erring or heretical Pope. In such a case, one should respectfully correct him, avoiding purely human anger and disrespectful language. Also notice he mentions avoiding purely human anger. He says purely human anger. Why? Because it is not a sin to be angry. And our Lord says to be angry and sin not. Why does he say that? Because we can, in fact, be angry and not sin. This is a, a true principle. And so we should make sure that when we have anger, it spurs us to virtue, not to vice. He continues and he says, resist him as one would resist a bad father of a family. Yet the members of a family cannot declare their evil father deposed from the fatherhood. They can correct him, refuse to obey him, separate themselves from him, but they cannot declare him deposed. Good Catholics know the truth and must proclaim it. Offer reparation for the errors of an erring pope. Since the case of a heretical pope is humanly irresolvable, we must implore with supernatural faith a divine intervention. Because the singular erring pope is not eternal but temporal. And the church is not in our hands but in the almighty hands of God. He concludes by saying, We must have enough supernatural faith, trust, 
humility, and a spirit of the cross in order to endure such an extraordinary trial. In such relatively short situations in comparison to 2,000 years, we must not yield to a too human reaction and to an easy solution declaring the invalidity of his pontificate, but must keep sobriety, keep a cool head, and at the same time, a true supernatural view and trust in divine intervention and in the indestructibility of the church, signed Athanasius Snyder. This is a excellent article explaining the position of the church and holding to the more sure position that we can hold as Catholics, that a pope can be bad. A pope can say bad things. And it's not the end of the world. Yes, it's bad. Yes, it's going to lead people astray, and we should try to save as many souls as possible. We need to be able to understand this and be prepared for it. But it should not cause us to lose our faith. And it should not cause us to say, well, I'm going to abandon what all the 260 other popes have said in the past in favor of what these a, a new pope might say. So let's cling to what is sure. We cling to what is sure, what is held by all for all time, and know that in the end, the Immaculate Heart of Mary will triumph and that our Lord will reign as Christ the King. Because remember, the Pope may be the vicar of Christ, but Christ is King. We'll be right back with more right after this. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. It's not as scary as I thought it was. It's a much more warm and open place, and God really is about love. It's not about the rules and the things that I remember as a young child. It really is about the love that God has for each one of us that's so um, deep and wonderful. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the Bible sufficient to answer all questions about Christian living and church life? Well, the answer is definitively no. There isn't agreement on scores of doctrinal issues, such as the effects of baptism, who can receive communion, once saved, always saved, abortion, or how about eligibility for marriage after divorce? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, fruit analysis. Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli, who are the fathers of non-Catholic Christianity, did not rid the unbiblical practices they despised, but instead turned out to be the progenitors of some 50 denominations and scores of divergent beliefs. Secondly, natural reason. Well, if the Bible alone is supposed to clarify all beliefs, the very fact that such division prevails is actually proof that an arbiter of doctrine is desperately needed. And thirdly, the golden twins. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition will always prevail as the foundation of all Christian truth, doctrines, and beliefs. Remember, identical twins come from one egg. Great if everyone read the lives of the saints? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. No, I didn't want to give up sin. The reason we sin is because sin is fun. But it's, it's self-love sin. 
but it's amazing with God's grace how easy trying to not sin it really is. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Hi, I'm Max Martinez. I'm from the Catholic Charismatic Center. We're listening to AM 1430, KSHJ, Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. You know, today is a great day. It really is really good to be here with you today. Because guess what today is? Wednesday. That's true! How did you know? Uh, my calendar told me. Oh, well, there you go, folks. Uh, what does your calendar say today is? It says it's Wednesday, but what else is today that is uh, very exciting, very amazing opportunity? The 20th. It is, in fact, the 20th. That is true. Um, it is true. Is it your birthday? It's did my I, birthday! Did I forget your birthday, too? No, it's not my Happy birthday. birthday it's bro. not my birthday. It's not. Uh, no, my birthday is not for another few months, but <laughs> I please God, I don't want another birthday. I'm getting old now. Uh, can you believe it? I'm a quarter of a century old. I'm like practically ancient. No, today, in fact, is an ember day. Oh. Today Ooh. is an ember day, a time-honored tradition, an opportunity to do penance and sacrifice for the salvation of souls. Now, Rudy, have you ever heard of ember days? Yeah, I have. Aren't they just for, uh, you know, farmers and stuff? You just thank the Lord for the harvest and that sort of thing. That's exactly what they originally were for. Mm. Originally, they were put up as days to recognize the changing of the seasons and pray for good harvest among farmers. So um, we don't need them anymore. So we don't need them anymore. Cause I just get have, my food at the grocery yeah, store. Yeah, exactly. So. And we I don't, don't need um, – uh, there's no food shortages and no, no. no problems with cattle and and – Drought. Droughts. That's, that doesn't solve that already. Yeah, we solve drought. <laughs> or <laughs> or really, rather, um, I suppose uh, Tim Cook solved droughts with his Mother Earth ads um, mm. about the uh, his zero carbon emission Apple watches and so on and so forth. But no, no, of course, we still need these things today. Now, these things are very lesser known in our day, they, but there there's three distinct elements to it. It's prayers for thanksgiving and petition, uh, penances through fasting and abstinence, and the celebration of ordinations. It was very common during the Ember Days to ordain, and you kind of see the parallel between the um, receiving the harvest of food, of plants, of your animals, and the receiving the harvest of souls. And so they kind of had that as a parallel, so they would often do ordinations during the Ember Days. Now, these days have ancient origins. And they've kind of evolved over the centuries. A church in Rome observed fast in June, September, and December with the flexible dates announced by priests. While attributed to Pope Callistus in 217 to 222, the practice likely even predates him. In fact, many believe that it is apostolic tradition. Even Leo the Great says so. Now, by the time of Gregory, Pope Gregory I, and 601, Ember days were observed in all four seasons, but the specific dates remained variable. And it wasn't until 1078 under Pope Gregory VII that Ember days were officially set for the Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday following 
December 13th, St. Lucie's Feast Day, Ash Wednesday, Pentecost, and September 14th, the Exaltation of the Cross. And I'm trying to see if I can, do you remember the little, like, um, uh, song that someone, that someone made? Or not song, but like little rhyme? It's, um, it's, I think it's, uh, oh my goodness, it's, I forget what it is. It's like Lucy Crucy, um, and I can't remember the other way how it goes, but it's like to remember, help remember. It's like after the Feast of St. Lucy, after the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross, Ash Wednesday, and Pentecost. And there's like a little rhyme that goes with it, and I'm forgetting it. The um, only jingle I remember is the the, the earworm one uh-oh. from the carpet company. You remember that? No. Empire Today? I have no idea. No? Oh, okay. Well, I guess it must have been a 90s thing. Yeah. <laughs> I was born in the late 90s, so I don't remember anything from the 90s. So initially limited to Rome, Ember Days then gained popularity. It spread to England via St. Augustine, to Gaul and Germany through the Carolinians, and later to Spain and Milan. However, the Eastern Church never adopted this tradition. So this is purely a Western tradition, unfortunately. Now, the institution of Ember Days is tied to the Old Testament seasonal fast, which God ordered for the changing of the seasons. The church embraced these fasts as a form of worship to fulfill Christ's teaching that he came to fulfill not to abolish the law. Now, the early Christian writers like St. Leo and St. Isidore believe that this practice dated back to the apostolic times, as I mentioned before. Now, of course, the um, there were different emphasis that were, that were kind of focused on during those seasons. So, for instance, the Advent Ember Days, the winter Ember Days following St. Lucy's Feast Day, uh, was to thank God for olives using holy oils and for the, for the anointing of the sick. During the springtime, during the after Ash Wednesday, it was to give thanks for flowers and bees, essentially for making blessed candles used in baptism and on the altar. And during the summer, or wit ember days, after Pentecost, it is to express gratitude for wheat used to make the Eucharistic host. And autumn, which is the one we're currently in, the, we have to celebrate Michaelmas and the ember days after the exaltation of the Holy Cross. Thanks God for grapes, essentially for making wine used for making the precious blood. So by maintaining a focus on these specific intentions for the Ember Days, you can actually have a more deliberate gratitude to God throughout the year. Now, it's interesting because there is a relationship with Japan and Ember Days. See, in Ember Days in Japan, the all Catholics were obliged to follow this before Vatican II. And after Vatican II, it was no longer enforced as a requirement. But in Japan... These days actually significantly influenced their cuisine, so much so that it created a whole dish that is very popular today. You may have heard of tempura dishes. Well, a tempura dish derives from the Latin quator tempura, which is a name for ember days. Quator meaning the four, and tempura meaning times. So the four times a year. And so during the four times a year, they would not eat uh, meat and they wouldn't have these things, so they created a new dish called tempura. There's some things like like this in other countries as well, Spain um, and other places, but this idea happened uh, as naming it that we kind of know very frequently in our times as tempura. It's very interesting. So that's something definitely that we should keep in mind, something that we should definitely start doing, and today is an ember day, so make sure you're doing that as something that we can do together, uh, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, days of fasting and penance, uh, fasting and abstinence. I think for, if I remember correctly, Wednesday and Saturday is partial abstinence, meaning 
you can have one meal in which you have uh, meat on. And then obviously Friday is no meat in general anyway. And then you have um, the you also fast during those days as well. So uh, the technically the, the rules of fasting, you know, so two small meals that don't add up to a single um, regular size meal, that, that kind of thing. So make sure that you are joining us in that. I'd be very grateful for you to be to be doing that. Now, in the early 20th century, the 1917 Code of Canon Law stipulated these days for fasting and abstinence, and it was required that all of us do it. Even on Fridays, we had every single Friday of the year, it was dedicated to a day of abstinence. The only time that a day of abstinence was, was getting rid of where you could have meat on a Friday was if a holy day of obligation landed on a Friday. That's the only time. I have a friend who jokes and says, the only time I eat meat on Friday is when Easter Sunday lands on a Friday. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> that sounds good. I, I'm with that. I'll do that too. So the changes to Ember Days in the early 1960s, um, the fasting and abstinence rules kind of changed during that time, and complete abstinence remained on specific days, while partial abstinence was introduced for Ember Days. So a day of fast included all weekdays of Lent, Ember Days, and the vigils of Pentecost. The vigils that fell on Sunday didn't require fasting or abstinence. So that's definitely something also to keep in mind. And then after the council, Paul Paul VI issued a document in 1966 altering fasting and abstinence rules. Local ordinaries gained discretion to commune Friday abstinence to other penitential acts. The age of abstinence initiated increased to 14, where before it was 7. So you'd start when you're 7 years old. And fasting on Ember Days and remaining vigils are, became no longer obligatory, which is why I say it's a holy day of opportunity because the church decided to make it non-obligatory. So you don't got to do it. You're not required to do it. No one's forcing you to do it, which gives us an opportunity to do it as an act of charity, do it as a complete act of love. So it's a holy day of opportunity. Now, Ember Days were once a significant part of Catholic tradition, and they faded in many regions. While modern canon law does no longer mandate their observance, I think it's a great opportunity, especially during our time. I mean, uh, do you think there's anything going on in our lives today that we need prayer and fasting for? Everything's pretty hunky-dory, right? Everything is going great. Everything's easy. Everything's wonderful. No crisis in the church. No crisis in society. So no crisis of vocations. So obviously, we should just not do prayer, fasting, and penance because we don't need to do it. It's no big deal. Or perhaps you think that the world is getting a little crazy, that things are not as good as we'd like them to be, that there is a crisis in the church, that there is crisis in society, in the political sphere, that there is a need for vocations. And I would say if you think that, then join me in, the, in doing these Ember Days. So that way we can, um, that we can actually do the um the words that we need do the things that we need to do so let's make sure we keep that in mind and make sure that we have a something to keep in mind something to do some sacrifices to keep up to date with us um now i did want to mention we had um as someone had sent me a message father Stephen imbarato said what i said about baptism is incorrect words must be correct i think father imbarato misheard me um, because when I was talking about Ecclesia Suplet, I very uh, specifically said that the words 
have to be correct. The um, form, the matter, the intention, the um, minister, and the receiver all have to be correct. Ecclesia suplet does not apply to the validity of the sacraments. Uh, so I did say that, and if so, it was misheard, then that's uh, important to keep in mind. Um, but yeah, for sure, for sure, Father is correct there but about that. Now, let's make sure that we, make, that we keep our eyes on the things of God. Make sure we keep our eyes on the, on the cross, recognizing that if our Lord suffered, and how could his servants have any less? Our Lord said, is a servant greater than his master? And the answer is no. Of course, a servant is not greater than his master. And so if our master must suffer the cross, must suffer the disrespect from the people, must suffer disrespect from his own people. Because remember, our Lord came to his people, the Jews. And what did the Jews do? They crucified him. They killed him. They rejected him. They did not accept him. Now, obviously, there were exceptions. Many of his followers, obviously all the apostles, our lady herself, um, almost all of the disciples were all Jews. And so many of them did follow our Lord. But many of them rejected him. And many of them crucified him. And so too in our time. So too in our time. Many Catholics will not follow our Lord. Many Catholics who are the people that God has chosen. The people who God has, has destined for eternal life. And many of us will reject him. Many of us will crucify him by our sins, by our heresies, by our lacks of faith, hope, and charity. But many of us can be like the apostles, like the disciples, like Our Lady, and not reject him, but instead embrace our Lord, accept his message, live a life of prayer, penance, and fasting. We can make acts of reparation, and it's a perfect opportunity today, this Friday, this Saturday, to do this, to make sure that we console the Immaculate Heart of Mary and the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Now, we're going to go into our Fear and Trembling game show where we're going to give out prizes, and you could win the prize. So make sure that you call in that number, 877-757-9424, 877-757-9424. That's the number to call to be part of our game show, Fear and Trembling. Uh, so make sure you call in now, 877-757-9424. That's the number. Make sure you call in because we're going to be giving away a prize, and you will want to be that prize, or not be the prize. You want to win that prize. How do you do so? Well, we always take the first caller. So call now, 877-757-9424. One last time, I'm going to give you that number, 877 877- 757-9424. Call now. We'll be right back with Fear and Trembling right after this. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. According to 1 Corinthians 11, receiving communion in an unworthy manner can result in sickness and or death. If communion is simply wafer and juice as opposed to body and blood, doesn't the possibility of sickness and death just seem a little over the top? So here's the three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. First off, in the Bread of Life discourse in John 6, Jesus says, He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. Note, he said drink my blood. He did not say drink my wine or grape juice. Well, no comment. 
commentary needed there. Secondly, you're going to walk? The disciples did not walk away from Jesus over a symbolic teaching of body and blood. They walked over how literally Jesus was teaching them. Also, they did not walk over the idea that feeding on Christ's body and blood is feeding on the Bible. No, no, no. And thirdly, your new response. My Catholic friend, when you are asked, hey, have you received Christ? Your answer is yes, every Sunday at Mass. That's how I know objectively that Christ is in me. It is here where you'll find the best marriage counselor, greatest healer, wisest teacher, and closest friend. It's a place where you'll escape the chaos of the world and find the lasting peace that only comes from God. Jesus is personally waiting to embrace you now with his divine mercy and healing love. Jesus is calling you home to his sacred heart today. I need a mercy. I need a savior. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. That's the number to call to be part of our game show, Fear and Trembling, where we give out prizes and you could win. Uh, we need that caller. The first person to call in will be the contestant. We'll have a chance to be a winner. So make sure you call in 877-757-9424. Now, let me tell you what's going on. Let me tell you how this game is played. It's very simple. I have three Catholic trivia questions in front of me. And what do I do with these questions? Well, it's very simple. I, I'm not going to ask you the questions. Instead, I'm going to ask Rudy the questions. And Rudy's going to give me an answer. It's your job to guess whether or not Rudy is right or Rudy is wrong. And that means even if you just guess which question, if you don't even know the answer and you just guess, there's a 50-50 chance of you getting the answer correct. And every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Rudy... What could they win? Thanks be to God. This week you could win a prize pack from Conversion Starters. Now you're wondering, Conversion Starters, what, is that? what does that mean? What do, you, what do they do there? Well, listen, have you ever been in the situation where you're out in public, you hear people blaspheming, you hear people uh, you know, talking, maybe asking questions about the church, maybe they're confused, and you're just like, man, I really want to go up to them, but I, I don't know what to say. I'm kind of an introvert. I'm not really sure. Well, Conversion Starters has you covered. They make evangelization easy and painless for everybody. Conversion Starters uh, features T-shirts, hoodies, and mugs that catch people's eyes and then pique their curiosity by featuring common uh, Catholic questions about uh, all kinds of different matters, along with a website address where they can go and read a very brief, easy-to-understand answer to those questions. And you could be a billboard for Christ by going to conversionstarters.com and uh, Conversion Starters is evangelization for introverts. Thank you so much, Conversion Starters. There you go. So if you're an introvert or you know an introvert, an introvert, introvert. introvert in your life introvert. that you think would like this, make sure you call in 877-757-9424, 877-757-9424. So make sure you call in because we always take the first caller. And I got to say... Uh, the chances of you winning are great, are very good odds. I'm looking over right now, 
And I got to say that you have an excellent opportunity. All you got to do is pick up the phone and dial that number, 877-757-9424. Give me that one, one, that number one more time, 877-757-9424. And we take the first caller, and that's the number. So make sure you call in. We'd be very grateful, and we'd love to hear your voice. And if you've never played before, let me invite you. Uh, call in. You know what would be really cool? If we had a caller call in from Amarillo. Oh, yeah, cool. an Amarillo caller. We haven't had one yet. That would be interesting. But, you know, I promise, you know, the questions aren't very difficult today. You can trust me. They're not difficult at all. You can trust Rudy. You can trust I've me. never heard anybody say that before. That's the first time I've ever heard anybody say that. Whenever somebody tells you that they're trustworthy, stay immediately, away. Immediately. Stay away. Immediately concerned. Immediately exactly. Concerned. Like, oh yeah, you can trust me. I'm reliable. Just, just go with me. It's, it sounds kind of like the, the devil whispering in her shoulder. Hmm. Uh, the serpent. Uh, cr- I thought you said that was up. a Jiminy Cricket. Oh yeah, I did say that. Uh, it, it is Jiminy. Jiminy the Cricket. I mean, Jiminy Cricket is my conscience. Conscience. Oh. Conscience. Conscious. Okay. I can say words. Conscience. I speak English. Uh, let's see. Joining us right now is Maria. Good morning to you, Maria. Did I make it? You did make it. Good morning, Maria. Good morning. Now, Rudy gave me a funny look. He thought it was his daughter for a second. <laughs> <laughs> he heard me say Maria, and he go. He gives me the. There's is nobody that, else is my named Maria. Daughter calling in. <laughs> like, who gave her a phone? <laughs> but good morning to you, Maria. Where are you calling in from? Good morning. Gulf Breeze, Florida. Oh, this, that sounds very breezy. Is the weather nice right there today? It actually is nice. It cooled down a little bit. Oh. And um, so it's kind of uh, a cooler at night. It's still pretty hot during the day. Hmm. So what do you got planned for today? Are you going to just uh, throw surfing? yourself on the, uh, the hammock, kick your legs up, and just, I don't know, maybe drink from a coconut or something? Oh, no, I'm on my way to work. No. Well, maybe you can uh, bring a coconut with you to work. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Maria. Are you familiar with the games? You know how to play? Yes. Perfect. Then you know Rudy can be tricky, but don't you worry. It can. You can actually uh, get these answers correct because I'm looking at them, and I have a good feeling that you're going to do great. Are you ready to play? I am. All right. Let's do it. Uh, Rudy... First question for you. During the French Revolution, you know, the French Revolution, uh, the great mm-hmm. revolution, uh, what happened to the property of the Catholic Church? Well, you know, Adrian, uh, there's there's a tendency for history to be written by people who, they have a certain chip on their shoulder, okay? And so some people say that it was stolen. Actually, what they did was, for safekeeping... They put everything under, you know, like a a plyboard. You know, they like close up the windows and stuff. And they said, maybe later we'll have somebody come in and come back and enter into the church. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It was a lot more peaceful than it was, than it seems. Really? They were just like, we'll just be like little custodians for a little while. We'll just help out a little bit. That's basically it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right, Maria. 
15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, during the French Revolution, what happened to the property of the Catholic Church? Uh, Rudy says that it's, uh, they were kind of just like custodians. They kind of just hung out, protected it. They were nice about it. It wasn't that bad. The French Revolution, they were, they were good people, the revolutionaries. Uh, what say you, Maria, from Florida? Uh, I don't agree. You don't agree. All right, let's see. Uh, survey says that is correct. <laughs> Way to go, Maria. Could not be tricked. The French revolutionaries were wicked, wicked people. Oh, they did some horrible things to the church. Yeah, we can't even desecrated yeah, we them. can't even tell you some yeah. of the things they did. But we will say they did. Um, like just stole things, desecrated things, destroyed uh, high altars, sold uh, relics and all and art to the highest bidder. Um, there was worse things, but we can't talk about that. That's inappropriate. Uh, but very good, Maria. Are you ready for question number two? I am. All right, let's do it. Question number two, Rudy. Okay. What do we call a cardinal who has a pretty good chance of being elected the Pope? A pretty good chance? Pretty good chance. Papable. 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 Uh, that sounds very papable of you. Now, that is the American way of saying it. Mm. The Italian way of saying it is... Papabile. 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 Oh. Oh, there you he's go. He's very, he's a papable guy. Like, like Cardinal Ratzinger. Like capable, you know? Capable, papable. I understand. I understand. All right. Uh, 15 seconds on the clock, Maria. What do we call a cardinal who has good chances of being elected the Pope? Uh, Rudy seeks it's a papabile or papabile. Capable. Uh, what say you, Maria? Uh, I don't agree. You don't agree. Are you sure you don't agree? I am. All right. Let's see. A survey says no. Actually, it was there. You go. Yeah, it was actually incorrect. Uh, sorry, Maria. You were deceived. Rudy did trick you. He was correct. The answer was. No. Is, do you know how it's actually pronounced? I think it's papabile. Okay, that yeah, I, didn't, I never, I've seen it written down, but I've never heard it said out loud. So papabile. I'm fairly certain that in Latin, every every actual letter is pronounced. Yeah, kind of like German. Yeah, that's right. So if you hear somebody papabile. say Porsche, it's not Porsche, it's Porsche. Yeah, huh, there you go. All right, well, very good, Maria. Don't worry, there's still one more question, and I gotta say, I mean, do you are, are you familiar at all with Our Lady of Fatima? I am. Then I think you're going to get this question right. Are you ready? I am. All right. Let's do it. Question number three, Rudy. The question is, before Our Lady appeared to the three shepherd children of Fatima, who appeared to those children? An angel. An angel. Which angel? The angel of Portugal. Oh. Did you know that certain cities, I mean, I'm pretty sure all the cities have an angel. I did know that. Yeah. Hmm. I actually pray to the guardian angel of Texas all the time. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a devotion I have. I wonder if he wears a hat. Um, Cowboy hat. I bet he does. Cowboy boots. I bet he wears he spurs. Spurs. He wears spurs. Yeah. I'm going to say that. You can hear him. He coming yeah. a mile away. Yeah. Yeah. That would be kind of cool, actually. <laughs> uh, Maria, 15 seconds on the clock. The question is, before Our Lady, who appeared to the children at Fatima? Well, Rudy seems to think it was the angel of Portugal. What say you, Maria? I don't agree. You don't agree. Are you sure you don't agree? Well, no, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Are you, do you want to change your answer? 
Yeah, let me all agree. All right, she'll agree. <laughs> all right, survey says... That is correct, Maria. Way to go. Amazing. Tremendous. 10 out of 10. Uh, yes, the angel of Portugal, which is believed to be St. Michael himself, appeared to the three shepherd oh, children and gave them Holy Communion and taught them the prayer Lord, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love you. I beg pardon for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love you. And that was a prayer that they, the children were taught by the angel of Portugal. So very good, Maria. God bless you. You did great. Thank you. Now, Maria, stay online. We're going to make sure we get your contact information so we can send you the prize should you we draw your name out on Friday. Uh, but have a blessed day at work. Pray for us. We'll be praying for you. Yes, please pray for me and my children. Will do. Will do. Uh, God bless you. We're going to put you on hold. Uh, so don't go anywhere. Uh, we're going to put you on hold. And that's going to do it for the radio side. If you can join us in the after show, we'd love to have you. Just hop on to YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Odyssey, and you, we will interact with you directly. So make sure you jump on. We'd love to chat with you and have a great conversation. So we'll see you in just a moment. But if not... We'll see you back on Catholic Drive Time tomorrow morning, 6 to 7, 6 o'clock Central, 7 o'clock Eastern, across the Guadalupe Radio Network and Catholic Spirit Radio. And remember, Christ is risen. Truly, he is risen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you. God love you. And we'll see you very soon. Thank you for joining us on your Catholic Drive Time where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Home of the Salt Community. This morning we celebrate the memorial of Saints Andrew Kim Taigon and Paul Chong Hasang and companions, the Korean martyrs. This morning's Mass is being offered for our online viewers and those joining us on Guadalupe Radio Media. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries.
I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who have been pleased to increase your adopted children in all the world, and who made the blood of the martyr St. Andrew Kim Taigon and his companions a most fruitful seed of Christians. Grant that we may be defended by their help and profit always from their example. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to Timothy. Beloved, I am writing you, although I hope to visit you soon. But if I should be delayed, you should know how to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. Undeniably, great, and great is the mystery of devotion, who is manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed to the Gentiles, believed in throughout the world, taken up in glory. The word of the Lord. How great are the works of the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company and assembly of the just. Great are the works of the Lord, exquisite in all their delights. How great are the works of the Lord. Majesty and glory are his work, and his justice endures forever. He has won renown for his wondrous deeds. Gracious and merciful is the Lord. How great are the works of the Lord. He has given food to those who fear him. He will forever be mindful of his covenant. He has made known to his people the power of his works, giving them the inheritance of the nations. How great are the works of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Your words, Lord, are spirit and life. You have the words of everlasting life. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. 
The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to the crowds, To what shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another. We played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We sang a dirge, but you did not weep. For John the Baptist came, neither eating food nor drinking wine, and you said, He is possessed by a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you said, Look, he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is vindicated by all her children. The Gospel of the Lord. This morning's Gospel, we hear Jesus commenting on the people of his generation who are unwilling to accept God working in their lives and in their midst. On the one hand, when John the Baptist came, he was too radical with his fasting and his appearance, and they said, this guy must be out of his mind, he's possessed by a demon. And then when Jesus came, in their opinion, he was too much among the people, including sinners, and they said, look at this louse, he is hanging out with gluttons and sinners. Surely this can't be how God would be operating upon us. It's interesting when Jesus says, people of this generation, because I think in many ways we could apply the exact same thing to our own generation and our own culture. In the first reading we hear that the church of the living God is the pillar and foundation of truth. The church's mission to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ is one which is always destined to be met with the same kind of skepticism and response that Jesus himself received by his generation. No matter how palatable we try to make the message of truth which we've received in Jesus Christ, there's always going to be a significant segment of the world and of the culture in which we live in which will never be satisfied. It won't matter how charitably you put it, it won't matter how you try to dress it up, they'll reject it because ultimately they rejected Jesus. And to that end, it is a reminder for us as Christians that while of course there is an art and a pastoral sensitivity of presenting the truths of our faith in a way that people are most likely to respond to, the number one goal and mission is always to be faithful to those truths we have received in Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, however you put it, people will still not be happy with it. Because like the people of Jesus' generation, they have their own expectations of what they think is right, of how they think God will be working in their lives, and you won't be able to please them no matter what you say. And that reminds us, of course, that our purpose and mission is not to try to please people or not to try to be able to dance closer with the culture in which we live in, but rather it is to be faithful to the notion that the Church of the Living God is the pillar and foundation of truth that we have received from Jesus Christ. And our primary mission is to be faithful to the gift of revelation that we've received in Jesus and fidelity to his word to his mission and to the truth we've received, that really is the primary criteria of how we preach and what we share with others. 
And then, of course, we leave them in their freedom, as God has done, to choose. Do they accept what Jesus offers or do they reject it? And that fundamental bottom line decision is still equally true as it was in the time of Jesus. One has to decide personally, do I accept or do I reject? So as in light of today's gospel, we can also look at our own lives and say, perhaps sometimes we too can be a little bit finicky or temperamental in the way that God is working in our life. Maybe sometimes we too can be a little bit difficult to satisfy and want to say, you know, God, if only it was like this, things would be a lot better for me. If only you made it like that, it would be a lot easier for me to fully respond with the totality of my being to your love. We too today are reminded that our job is not so much to keep asking God why this or why that, but rather to say, Lord, how would you like me to respond to the events, experiences, and circumstances of my life to give myself more to you? What can I do to respond more fully to the gift of your love? And even if there are dimensions of your working in my life which are mysterious, I still know that you are working for my good, that you're leading me and others to salvation, and how can I respond to that gift which you offer me in your providence? And so, my brothers and sisters, as we go forward today, let us ask God for the grace that we would always be faithful to the truths we have received in Jesus Christ and our proclamation of them, and that, yes, of course, we would try to deliver the message in as pastorally sensitive a way as possible, but that we would always be remindful that the truth of Jesus Christ at the end of the day is either accepted or rejected. And let us ask God for the grace as well that we would always be open to how he works in our life and ready to respond to the gift of his goodness and love. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters, gathered as one to celebrate the good things we have received from God, let us ask him to prompt in us prayers that are worthy of his hearing. For Francis, our Pope, William Michael, our Bishop, and all the clergy, with the people entrusted to their charge, we pray to the Lord. For those who hold public office and those who assist them in promoting the common good, let us pray to the Lord. For those who travel by sea, land, or air, for captives and all held in prison, let us pray to the Lord. For all of us gathered in this sacred place, by faith and devotion, and by love and reverence for God, and for all those joining us online and through radio, let us pray to the Lord. We pray for all those who have asked for our prayers and for those enrolled in the Salt Mass Association. We pray to the Lord, Lord hear our for an increase in vocations to the sacred priesthood and religious life. We pray to the Lord, Lord hear our and for those intentions that we hold in our heart. We pray to the Lord. Lord hear our may the petitions of your church be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, so that we may receive from your mercy what we cannot ask out of confidence in our own merits. Through Christ our Lord.
I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down thy weary one, lay down thy head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am this dark world's light. Look unto me, thy morn shall rise, and all the day be bright. I looked to Jesus, and I found in him my star, my sun. And in that light of life I'll walk till traveling days are done. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God the Almighty Father. Look with favor, Almighty God, on the offerings of your people, and through the intercession of the blessed martyrs, grant that we ourselves may become a sacrifice acceptable to you for the salvation of all the world, through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your heart. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, for you are glorified when your saints are praised. Their very sufferings are but wonders of your might. In your mercy you give ardor to their faith, to their endurance you grant firm resolve, and in their struggle the victory is yours through Christ our Lord. Therefore, all creatures of heaven and earth sing a new song in adoration, and we with all the host of angels cry out, and without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, plenisum celi et terra, gloria tua. Hosanna in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine domini. Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. 
For through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy. And you never cease to gather a people to yourself, so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you by the same Spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. For on the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread, and giving thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, save us, Savior of the world, for by your cross and resurrection you have set us free. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your Son, his wondrous resurrection and ascension into heaven, and as we look forward to a second coming, we offer you in thanksgiving this holy and living sacrifice. Look, we pray upon the oblation of your church, and recognizing the sacrificial victim by whose death you will to reconcile us to yourself, grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of your Son and filled with this Holy Spirit may become one body, one spirit in Christ. May he make of us an eternal offering to you so that we may obtain an inheritance with your elect especially with the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the blessed apostles and glorious martyrs, and with all the saints in whose constant intercession in your presence we rely for unfailing help. May this sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth, with your servant Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, the order of bishops, all the clergy, and the entire people you have gained for your own. Listen graciously to the prayers of this family whom you have summoned before you. In your compassion, O merciful Father, gather to yourself all your children scattered throughout the world. To our departed brothers and sisters and to all who are pleasing to you at their passing from this life, give kind admittance to your kingdom. There we hope to enjoy forever the fullness of your glory. Through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow on the world all that is good. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Precepti salutaribis moniti, et divina institutione formati, 
audemus dicere. Pater noster, qui es in celis, sanctifi tuhur nomen tuhum, adveniat regnum tuhum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra, panem nostrum coditianum, da nobis hodie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus, debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amahalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, and graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis, Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. those unable to receive communion, and those joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio, let us pray together the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen.
O Lord, I am not worthy that Thou shouldst come to me, but speak the word of comfort, my spirit healed shall be, and humbly I'll receive thee, the bridegroom of my soul. No more by sin to grieve thee, or fly thy sweet control. Eternal Holy Spirit, unworthy though I be, prepare me to receive him and trust the word to me. Increase my faith, dear Jesus, in thy real presence here, and make me feel most deeply that thou to me art near. Let us pray. Nourished with the food of the valiant, as we celebrate the blessed martyrs, we humbly ask you, O Lord, that clinging faithfully to Christ, we may labor in the church for the salvation of all, through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Lift high the cross, the love of Christ proclaim, till all the world adore his sacred name. Come, brethren, follow where our captain trod, our king victorious, Christ the Son of God. Lift high the cross, the love of Christ pro. Saint Michael the Archangel. Defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, 
peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary, we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. Transmitting the treasures of our Catholic faith to your radio every day. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Hi, this is Father Phil Lloyd, pastor of St. Teresa's Catholic Church.